Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how Abraham was mindful and looking, showing that he was active in his faith and following of God. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. So Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot with him. Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gotten and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. Now, in our last study, you remember how we began to look at the life of Abraham. Very important person in the Bible, and very important person for us. And so we're going to continue now with asking this vital question that really we need to get at, which was what kind of a person was Abraham really like? What was he really like? So to answer this question, we turn to the commentary that we have of all the Old Testament heroes of faith. Turn to that, please, in Hebrews chapter 11. And we look at Hebrews 11, these, from starting at verse 4, Hebrews 11, 4 through verse 12, and we consider Abraham in the context of his uh, fellow believers, I guess we could say, or Abraham as a leader, or Abraham as the, a star example. So that's why we start in verse 12, where it starts off by talking about the first one, which is Abel, by faith Abel, offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained the witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Next, We consider in verse 5, Enoch, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Next one, verse 7, is Noah. These are all characters we've studied. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not as yet seen, he moved with fear and he prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of, and here's this new term, this great term, very important term, especially in the life of Abraham, the righteousness which is by faith. And then we come to Abraham in verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Then we come to speak about Sarah. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. And we're given the reason, because she judged him faithful that had promised. Therefore sprang there 
even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky, and multitude and the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. So, in this passage here, when we look at all these people that we have studied about, Abel and Enoch and Noah and, and now Abraham, we have a summary, so to speak, and we look at their focus, and what do you see, or what impressed you as we went through this passage here in Hebrews 4, that we just said, what did these four men all have in common? What did you see that they had in common? It's a question. Faith. 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 By faith. They all had a very critical first step in their lives of faith. It was very, very critical. That's what we really want to get at this morning. To understand Abraham, since he's the father of faith, what is faith? So, faith, first of all, is a godly stand against an ungodly world. That's what they were. They stood up for God against those who stood against God. And we saw that. They all took their stand in opposition to what for them was a present evil world. We live in a present evil world. They lived in a present evil world. And Abel, for example, he took his stand. It was a very small world. But nevertheless, he took his stand with his blood sacrifice against Cain, who came with his non-blood sacrifice. And God wanted a blood sacrifice. So Enoch, he took his stand to walk with God against a world that was walking away from God and was actually developing into a society where people had these imaginations, as God put it, that was only evil continually. Noah took his stand to preach against the world that was ridiculing him. And Abraham, we're going to see, took his stand against the idolatry in the life that he had in Ur of the Chaldees to go to a place that was given to him by the one and only God. And Sarah, she took her stand against the obvious circumstance, the obvious condition of her body that was saying to her, you can't have a baby. But in verse 8 in Hebrews 11, it starts to get at the answer to the question of what kind of a person was Abraham? What was he really like? And what kind of people were these these ones we've been talking about, Abel and Enoch, Noah, and Sarah? Well, we said they walked by faith. There were men and women who walked by faith. So there's two words that we get out of this. We start with the two words that we get out of this, particularly in the life of Abraham. And that is, as we said, one is by faith and the other one is obeyed. So Abraham was a man who had, you would take two words. You would say Abraham was a man characterized by the words faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. Now we see back in Genesis 12 that God gave Abraham a command, that's what it is, in 12.1, the Lord had said unto Abraham, Abram, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house. He gave him, that was a command, it was a command to leave, but it was also a promise. He says, I'm going to take you to a land. And that promise was that God would show him this new land. So therefore, what we see in Hebrews 11, sorry, we want to kind of keep going back and forth here. In Hebrews 11:10 is that therefore he looked, it says, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So he obeyed the command and he left, but the command or the promise changed him. On the inside, it changed Abraham. How did it change him? Because it changed him into a person who therefore was looking for the city. He was looking, and that's the next word that we describe Abraham with, faith, obedience, looking. 
He looked for a city. So Abraham was not a passive person. You don't think of Abraham as sort of sit back and says, okay, now God's going to show me, so I'll just sit here and wait. He started to actively get involved in looking for the city. In other words, that's how we can describe Abraham as a dynamic person, a dynamic person. His faith caused him to carefully consider the consequences of what God had said. It caused him to figure things, to deduce things, to take the next step. He says, for example, well, God has told me that he's going to show me a new land. So what am I going to do? I'll look for that new land. And did anyone say anything, or is anything said, I guess I should say, is anything said in Genesis 12, 1 about a city? Well, there's no word of a city, it's a land, right? So, but in Hebrews 11.10, it says that Abraham looked for a city. So if there's nothing mentioned about a city in Genesis 12.1, and Abraham's looking for a city, what happened? Abraham was thinking. He was thinking, well, God's not going to live in a barren place. He's going to be in a place. He must live in a city. So I'm looking for the city where God is. See, that's figuring or deducing, and that's what he was doing. God has given us an understanding in order to do that. He said to Israel, he said to Israel in uh, Psalm 32, 9, he said to Israel, Be ye not as the horse (laughs) or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. So God was saying to Israel, I didn't make you a horse. And God says to us, he didn't make us a horse. (laughs) And he didn't make us a mule, which doesn't have understanding, but he wants us to use the understanding that we have to figure. And he says, for example, in Genesis 18.25, shall not the God God of all the earth do right? And then we also find in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, all should come to repentance. We find in Acts 17.30, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So we think these things through. We use our understanding to figure out that God must have given to all men the ability to make their own decision to repent or not to repent. And whatever the term election and predestination means in the Bible, it certainly cannot mean that God has made the decision in advance for every person whether or not he'll repent or be saved. Because if God made the ultimate decision as to who would repent and be saved and who would not, then that would not be right for God to call or command all men to repent and to put the responsibility on them as to whether or not. Now, that's using understanding. That's using understanding of what God has given. That's what God has given to us, an understanding. So Abraham does this, and he looks for a city. So now, we broaden then, as we said, this description of Abraham. He has faith, he has obedience, and he's looking. Now, there's something more that we can see about Abraham from Hebrews 11, 14 to 16. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. So from this passage, we can add one more word to Abraham to fill out this picture of the question of what was he like. And that's the word mindful. Mindful. It's a great word, mindful. That answers the question, what was Abraham's mind full of? Okay. And so we can ask ourselves, what is our mind? What's my mind full of this morning? I don't want to say. But anyway, so I hope it's on this 
passage. Anyway, so if each of us, if each of us would fill out a three-by-five cards of all the things that our mind is thinking about. And Abraham filled out three-by-five cards of everything he was thinking about, and he lays it all out on the table. Then one of the cards would be a better country. You see that written there? A better country. Another card would be a heavenly country. Another card would read the city of God. And so if you were to sit down with Abraham and you'd be sitting down and you'd say, Abraham, you know, you'd be talking to him and you'd probably figure out from what he's talking about what his mind's full of. And if you said to him, Abraham, what's on your mind? That what are you thinking about? Then Abraham would say one of those cards. He would be talking about one of those cards. He'd say, you know, I've just been thinking about that where God is is a better country than this place. He'd be saying that. Or he'd say, I've been thinking about what it must be like in that heavenly country. I've been thinking about what they must all be doing there. That's what kind of we'd be thinking about, see? Like Good Friday, meaning a creation museum. Lydia comes up to me, and she says, I wonder what my dad is doing now in heaven. That's what she said right now. Well, I couldn't tell her. But anyway, but Lydia was like Abraham, thinking about that heavenly country. See, that would be one of the Abraham cards. And that's what makes the word mindful so wonderful. Because it's a great descriptive term in verse 15, because it's it's talking about what his mind is full of. So Abraham was in that present country, but his mind was on that better country where God is. Abraham lived in the city, in the city of Ur, but his mind was full of the better city where God is. Abraham lived in his house in Ur, but his mind was full of the better home where God is. Abraham did his job, but his mind was full of the better job where God is. So that's how Abraham is described. So why was Abraham in this state of mind? Because he was an example of Psalm 1-2. His delight was in the law of the Lord, and in his law did he meditate day and night. And that's, that's, that's the Lord's command to us. He says to us in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, which is a good verse for today, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Dad, today you talked about two words that described the life of Abraham. Mindful and looking. How do those two words apply to our lives? You know, those are two very important words about Abraham, and they're really captured for us, and we saw this in Hebrews eleven fourteen through 16, when it's speaking of not just Abraham, but all the believers, and us included. It says, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. You see, there in those two verses, we have this concept of the of they seek a country. In other words, they're looking for a country. And it says there that if they had been mindful of the country they came out of, in other words, if they were, if their mind was full of earth, then they might have had opportunity to have returned. And that's, of course, referring to the tragedy of the life of the wife of Lot. 
The wife of Lot, Lot's wife, was an absolute, unnecessary disaster. It was a tragedy. It did not have to be. And Lot's wife is in hell today, and it's a disaster. It's a catastrophe because she did not have to do that. She does, did not have to be in hell today. But why is she in hell today? And what happened to her? And why is she such a, a monument of a horrible mistake? Because when she was taken out of the city of Sodom, of the city of Sodom that was filled with the rebellious sin against God, when she was taken out of the city of the Sodomites, that what happened was that she yearned for that city. She remembered that city. Her mind was full of that city. So instead of hating the things that God hates, the sin that was in the city, instead of taking the lead from God and and saying, I'm going away from that, I'm going to God, I'm going to the place that God has chosen, because her mind was full of Sodom, she turned back. And when she turned back, it wasn't just out of curiosity to see, well, what's going to happen? She turned back with a sense of yearning, of longingness, and, oh, I wish, I wish I was back there. I'm sorry that I left it. The things that I had there, I love those things. And when that happened, God turned her into a pillar of salt just like that. Instantly, she was turned into a pillar of salt, and she became a monument for what we should not do. Her mind was full of the world. Her mind mind was full of the things of the world and even the sin that was in the world. She said, that's not so bad. That's acceptable. Times have changed. And because of that, she was turned into a pillar of salt so that we could look at that and say, you know what? It's a very, very bad thing when our mind is full of the world. And so therefore, that's why Hebrews 11 says that they that seek a country, they that want heaven, they that yearn for heaven, they that want to go to a place where in dwells righteousness. They do that because their mind is full of righteousness and of heaven. Their mind is full of the Bible. Their mind is full of the Word of God. Their mind is full of God and His righteousness. This is what is speaking about in Abraham, as we covered today, in Hebrews 11.10, where it says, for he looked for a city who, which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was hungering after righteousness, as it says in the Sermon on the Mount. He looked for that place where God was, where it was righteous, where there wasn't rebellion and sin against God. And because he did that, God said, I will not disappoint Abraham. I will give him what he wants. I will, I will bring him into heaven. He will see the city that is right, the city whose builder and maker is God. And so what it says, therefore, is that here we have no continuing city. That's what it says in Hebrews 13, 14. Here, in other words, down here on earth, have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Now, it's obvious that, that to everybody that we're not going to live forever on earth, that we're going to face our death day. And that's obvious. And so there's two ways to do that. One way is to understand that mentally, to ascend to it because it's a fact, and yet to put it out of our mind and to live our life as if this is our continuing city, as if we're never going to die, as if eat and drink and be merry and forget about the fact that tomorrow you may die. Just eat and drink and be merry because it's a wonderful life. It's great down here. This is a terrific earth. There's nothing wrong with it. And just to live like it's a continuing city. 
The other way is to, as, as a believer, is to understand that this earth is just a place, as the song says, I'm just passing through, and to seek the one to come, to seek heaven. To seek heaven means that our heart is oriented toward that, and to understand that, yes, my death day is coming, but that's just a transition day. And so how do you do this? This is the big question that applies to our lives. In other words, the question of how do you look for this city? How do you do it? You know, in that great passage in John 14, 1 through 2, where the Lord Jesus Christ was telling him, don't let your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Then he says, you believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So the real question is, how do you do that to not let your heart be troubled? When you think of our own death, the death that's the death that will be ours, when we think of that, how do we have it so that our heart is not troubled? How do we have it so that we're really looking forward to the mansions that he that are in the Father's house? How do we live in total expectation that there is a place prepared for us by the Lord Jesus Christ? He tells us and he gives us in the first verse where he says, You believe in God, believe also in me. Then in other words, you you believe in God, now focus on me. Put your mind full of me. Think of me all the time. And as you do, and as you live in, your, in my word, as you live in the Bible, as you drink the Bible, as you swim in the Bible, so to speak, as, you are, as, as the Bible is just all around you, and you're, it's, it's molding your thoughts, it's, it's the center of what you focus on. Why? Because you take time to read it, to memorize it, to think about it. As you do all of that, then you're going to focus on the fact that in the Father's house are many mansions, there's a place prepared for you, and your heart will not be troubled. What Micah said, what was what God said in the book of Micah in chapter 2, verse 10, is so applicable for us today, where he said, Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest. Because it is polluted, it shall destroy you, even with the sword destruction. We need that today. We need to look at the this world and realize this world is not our rest. We do not set our stakes down. We do not we do not set our tent stakes down very deep on this earth, so to speak, because this is not our rest. As a matter of fact, if we do that, if we really unpack here, so to speak, here on earth to the point where we say, ah, now I've arrived here and this is all I ever wanted. I'm absolutely content and I hope I live forever on this earth. When you do that, God says you have entered into pollution. He says it is polluted and it will destroy you. It will affect you. And it says even with the sore destruction. That's why Paul, when he was speaking in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, he was speaking about the condition of our life and that our health is deteriorating, that we are under an affliction. And he says this affliction, you will be able to see it as a light affliction if you do one thing. And here he says, for our light affliction is is but for a moment. Now, let's just stop there and say, how do we do that? How do we get uh, this affliction that we're going through, health problems, whatever kind of problems, to view it as just light and to really see it that it's just temporary? Well, he says that. 
He says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look, that's the key, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, he's telling us there, you can see your affliction as terrible and heavy as it is, whatever it might be, as just a light one, and you can see you can see a, that it's working for you. It's creating in you something that's called a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory if you look. So he says, while you look, it's if you look, not at the things which are seen. In other words, not focus and fill our lives with the things which are on earth, but he says, but at the things which are not seen. How do you look at things which are not seen? In the Bible. The Bible causes our minds. It, it refreshes our minds. It refocuses our minds. It it, it it renews our minds as because we look at things which are not seen. What's not seen? God's not seen. The Lord Jesus Christ is not seen. Heaven is not seen. All of these things are not seen. But as we think of them and look at them, then all of these wonderful changes happen where our whole orientation changes and we look for heaven. We desire heaven. We expect heaven. It changes us. It says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are seen, with the things that are seen, they're temporal, they're passing away. And we can look at the world and understand that they're passing away and just say, let it go by. It doesn't bother me at all because I'm heading for heaven. I'm going for the place where the things that are not seen are eternal, and that's my home. Thank you for joining us today. Now, this month, Tom Cantor is encouraging you to witness to your lost Jewish friend, neighbor, coworker, doctor, businessman, someone around you that's Jewish that needs to be reached with the gospel. Tom Cantor not only wants to send you a free gift of his life story on DVD and booklet to help you to reach them, but Tom Cantor wants to personally pray for your friend. So we want to reach them with the gospel. You can help us to do that. We want to pray for them, too, at Israel Restoration Ministries. And Tom Cantor wants to personally be involved in that prayer for them. So you can go online to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Fill out the online form. Include your friend's name that needs to be prayed for. We can send the gift to you or directly to them. Or you can call 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org for more information. And that's 1-800-247-3051. one 247 247-3051. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow at the same time.